Passwords and antivirus was cybersecurity in the 90s. Unfortunately, that was a long time ago. And so it's definitely not enough anymore. Isn't it really a response program and, and how you're going to manage that inevitable risk? And it is inevitable, isn't it? Cybersecurity is absolutely a team sport. There's no one single product or one single vendor that can solve cybersecurity. Welcome to the Exchange Feed Podcast. I'm your host, Arnie Goldstein. In this episode, I'm talking with Ian L. Patterson, the CEO of Pluralock Security, and we discuss cybersecurity and what your board should be looking at in this particular realm. Ian, welcome. Great to be here, Arnie. Thank you. Ian, let's just start off with a 25,000-foot view of Pluralock and what your firm does. Well, Pluralock is a, is a proud uh, member of the TSX Venture. We focus on two areas. Uh, we help businesses with cybersecurity, and we also have AI software products. Uh, we've, been, we've been around for, for a number of years, although we've seen very rapid growth uh, over, over the last three years um, as a result of a number of acquisitions. Uh, and so today, uh, we, we service uh, US government, uh, states, governments. We have operations in Canada. Um, and we also work with uh, mid-market and, and enterprise-sized commercial organizations. So we, we tend to see a lot of different cybersecurity situations, uh, both good and bad. And we're, we're ultimately there as, as a service provider to be able to help our clients um, both stay safe as well as comply with their myriad of, of regulatory obligations uh, that seem to, uh, to be growing uh, year over year. What role do board of directors play in governing cyber risks and, and how can they perform their oversight function effectively? And you know, what are the key principles that boards should be adopting or looking at to form the basis of an effective cyber governance regime? Well, it's a good question. And that role is changing. 10, 20 years ago, we, were, we would not have this conversation uh, around boards and the cyber risks that occur. I think we would have had a conversation around risk in general at the board level, but, but cybersecurity wasn't, wasn't one of those items. There's a concept uh, in governance around financial literacy that, that we expect our board members to be able to, to read financial statements and, and understand them and then be able to make decisions around them. And the thing that is changing is that we're now starting to ask and expect directors to also have cybersecurity literacy. And that can be challenging, uh, particularly because board directors may not come from an, an information technology background. They may not have uh, as, as astute uh, or, or they may not have as much experience uh, with, with information technology in general. And so then having to, to layer on cyber risk can be challenging. I think the other thing that's challenging is that cybersecurity as an industry has seen uh, fairly seismic shifts uh, over the last several years. Um, and so that means that even if you are aware of, of technology, um, you have to stay current uh, and that can be challenging. So it's a good question. I will say that the, uh, the trend, what we are seeing is that there is a movement now towards um, more oversight, uh, more disclosure and more awareness at a board level. So just recently, uh, we saw that the, 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 the SEC in the US uh, published a rule requiring uh, disclosure of cybersecurity incidents within four days uh, of them occurring. And this, this can be really challenging because you have to actually understand what a cybersecurity incident is. You have to 
be aware that they are taking place, and then you have to decide if if they if they meet the threshold. And as a board, you have to be able to have that conversation, and you also have to be able to to make sure that you can you can hold management accountable to 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 doing those things. So, I, I think that what we're seeing overall is that there's a large change uh, occurring. We are seeing that there is more need for cybersecurity literacy at the board level, and that can mean both formal. Uh, structures in place as well as informal structures in place. So I think it's it's definitely worth a conversation um, at, at the boardroom today if it's not already. Thanks for that answer, Ian. That's really interesting. And it, it leads me to want to ask the question, what should boards be doing to educate themselves and what resources uh, are available? Boards uh, have a lot of resources that they may not even be aware uh, are accessible to them. So when we're talking to organizations, either at the C-suite level or in some cases, we're we're actually brought in by by boards uh, to assist either with a cybersecurity incident or post incident. Um, we're always looking at who are the other service providers around the table that should be part of that conversation. Cybersecurity is absolutely a team sport. There's no one single product or one single vendor that can solve cybersecurity. That's that's the wrong way to think about it. Um, and so as a, as a company and, and by, by effect by the board uh, can certainly be, it can, can certainly and should certainly be, be having conversations with their insurance providers. And we can maybe talk about cyber cybersecurity insurance, um, but that's part of the solution. They should also be talking to the information technology groups or in some cases, the operational technology groups. So if you're dealing with critical infrastructure or manufacturing and you have embedded systems, factories, power plants, there's, there's potentially two different uh, technology organizations that should be part of that conversation. Very frequently, you'll have organizations also that that either contract out or or have some sort of checks and balance, but with a third party. So that could be that um, that you contract out a third party penetration test or security assessment um, with an arm's length party who can then actually do an assessment of what your own company is doing, and 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 have have an independent view on that. Um, in addition. Um, the the kind of more traditional uh, financial service providers, be that auditors, be that uh, accountants, etc., um, also have a great understanding of risk and and how risk plays into um, into technology as well. Um, you know, I think that there's there's growing awareness that that, that cybersecurity is important, and so I've I've certainly seen um, so, for instance, the the IGP program in Canada. Um, which serves as, as some governance education. They have a segment on cybersecurity. Um, so there, there are definitely resources available. I think the challenge though is, is how do you then take that information and then put that into practice for your company? And how do you do that while maintaining a, a reasonable budget? You know, it's, it's, it's actually very easy to make a system that is totally secure. You simply get a computer, you encase it in concrete, you put it at the bottom of the ocean. Very, very secure, right? Most bad guys are not going to be able to get that. But unfortunately, A, it's, it's completely impractical because it doesn't actually allow you to succeed in the mission of the organization. Um, but it's also going to be too expensive. And so how do you find that balance between actually getting the business to, to accomplish its mission while doing so in a way that minimizes risk um, and, and that you have some sort of process and standard where you're comparing and you're benchmarking your organization against uh, against against either a, a, a plan or a standard or, or something to that effect. Okay, interesting. Let's say that I'm sitting on a board and my management team is going to 
present to us their cybersecurity plan tomorrow, how should I assess the effectiveness of, of that management cybersecurity maturity um, and, and the plan? The first step is really getting an understanding of is the team aware of the problem they are trying to solve? The problem they're trying to solve can be meeting regulatory obligations. The problem that they're trying to solve can also be assuring that systems remain uh, available, particularly in, in an operational capacity, in an OT capacity. The mission can also be uh, keeping systems in the organization uh, at, at a risk level that is appropriate for, for what they are trying to do. So are they aware of compliance? Are they aware of the threats that exist out there? And are they aware of, of the availability of, of systems and data that needs to occur? I would be asking questions to explore those three avenues to see if there are responses to those questions. So for instance, one question I might ask is, compared to our peers or competitors, who are the common threat actors that typically target our companies? And that could be ransomware, that could be nation states, that could be insider threats, but just knowing who those common threat actors are as it pertains to your organization, which is going to be a different answer than a different industry or a different company size. I think that's the first thing. I think the second would be around what is the journey look like? What is the journey that you're on? Now that journey could be, hey, we're trying to align against a specific standard. Maybe that standard is something like NIST 853 or ISO 27001. Uh, the great thing about standards is that there's so many to choose from. Which one you pick doesn't matter as much as having something that you can compare your progress against. So whether you're trying to comply with a specific standard or whether you have more of a formal um, uh, risk management strategy that you're working towards, what is the plan and how are we doing against that plan? And third, how can you actually get metrics around that? So it could be something as basic as how many phishing emails did we get? Are we doing phishing testing? And how many people are succeeding or failing in those? It can also be things like how many cyber threats exist out there that are querying our, our services. Um, I recently heard a statistic uh, by a, a Canadian government official who said that they have billions of uh, automated attacks against their systems on a regular basis. So getting metrics around what is taking place is helpful. Um, and ultimately it gives confidence to, to management that not only do we have a good understanding of what we're trying to do, where we're going, uh, but we can also quantify how we're, how we're succeeding along that journey. Let's talk a little bit about risk appetite and tolerances. Um, and, and what should the board and management be doing to, to set those? I think that when it comes to risk, there needs to be an understanding of what that risk is and a, and a realistic conversation around what resources you apply against it. So if I, I go back to my fictional example of the computer encased in concrete at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, certainly going to reduce risk, um, but, but somewhat impractical. So you have to really have first that understanding of, of what are the risks and what are the realistic resources that you have to deploy against them? A cybersecurity plan for a 10-person nonprofit is going to look extremely different from a cybersecurity plan for uh, a top five bank in Canada. Um, and that's understood because you have very different risk profiles. You have different data that you're protecting and, and you have different um, systems uh, that, that you're securing. I think one of the things that is changing, though, and this is worth, uh, worth looking at, is that we are seeing a lot more regulatory obligations coming online. 
The big one a few years ago was GDPR, um, which really had a, a very large impact around the data security that organizations have to uh, have to put in place. So if you deal with Europe, if you deal with Europeans, if you find yourself with European uh, PII, personally identifiable information, um, GDPR is, is going to, to be a topic of conversation. Now, what we're seeing as well is that individual regions, so California, for instance, has CCPA as a, as a similar privacy um, uh, regime. Canada, we're seeing certain uh, provinces pop up as well as some federal conversation around privacy, around data security, around uh, data privacy, et cetera. And so this is a changing landscape. And so you need to have it, have that uh, conversation and be aware that what you're doing today from a risk perspective against cyber threats might be fine, but that might have to change next year as a result of regulatory obligations. The other thing that we're seeing as a driver for change is third parties. Third parties could be partners, third parties could be vendors, third parties could be customers, third parties could also be insurers that will have a changing requirement for you to continue to, to do business with them. Um, a very practical example here, we saw that uh, the insurance industry, I believe it was in 2021, uh, paid out more in damages than they collected in premiums for cybersecurity insurance. And that changed a huge amount of what their policies and practices were in 2022, because they did not want to repeat that same uh, that same situation. So, in order to get cybersecurity insurance and in order to keep cybersecurity insurance, became much much harder as a result of the the incredible amount of ransomware that we saw in 2021. So, there's there's a there's an element of time that directors need to be aware of that just because you have something that's good enough today may not be good enough for tomorrow. And so that should inform the budget process, that should inform the capital needs, um, that should inform how you think about risk and, and how you resource against it. Or it may not be available next year. Let's just talk a little bit more about cyber insurance, uh, considering you mentioned that. How can boards work with management to identify which risks to accept, mitigate, or transfer through? It's a very good question. I, I think a lot of it actually stems from what are the obligations to get and keep cybersecurity insurance. So several years ago, it, it was fairly straightforward to get cybersecurity insurance. You didn't need to do a whole lot to qualify. Now, what we're seeing amongst our customers uh, it, is that it's it's much harder to get. You have to prove that you've that you've done your due diligence for your own company, that you've implemented the right controls that you've implemented the right policies, otherwise you won't even get cybersecurity insurance. So, so that you shouldn't just assume that it is available to you. That's That's been the big surprise. And so if you have it, you also can't just assume that you will always be able to get it. Uh, unless you show that you are investing to reduce risk yourself, you cannot simply just insure it away. I think that's that's the big thing. I think the next thing is have an understanding of what parts of the business are insured. Uh, but also where does your data reside? So one of the common issues that we're seeing is that if you're using cloud services, for instance, the data might be hosted somewhere else. It's probably not on a uh, you know computer in the closet anymore. Um, and so having an understanding of where does your insurance end, start and end, um, and where does it become um, you know somebody else's uh, uh, somebody else's issue to to manage. And then I think the third is is setting uh, setting a realistic uh, allocation of capital against that insurance policy versus uh, implementing stronger cybersecurity controls. 
So you have to ask the question, is it, is it a better use of proceeds to, to get a lot of insurance? Or can we, um, taking the, the, the data example, can we simply invest in, in a better backup system where even if, uh, you know, Arnie's computer, uh, you know, does fall in the bath and, and you lose that hard drive, we've already got it backed up in Office 365 or, or something similar. And so you don't necessarily depend on, on insurance. So it's a part of a solution, but it is not the solution. I think that there's kind of a background um, theme going on in this conversation where um, I think some companies think, well, I'll, if I've got the good antivirus software running and I've got a, a nice gateway running and then that's what cybersecurity is, isn't it really a response program and, and how you're going to manage that inevitable risk? And it is inevitable, isn't it? Well, uh, passwords and antivirus was cybersecurity in the 90s. Unfortunately, that was a long time ago. And so it's definitely not enough anymore. Um, you know, I think investment in technology is, is uh, certainly appropriate today. You have to invest in the right technology. But I, I do agree with you that, unfortunately, we're dealing with a situation where there are active participants on the other side, meaning you cannot just simply build a wall uh, build a firewall, et cetera, and, and hope that that keeps people at bay because the bad guys are actively trying to find ways around that, through that, um, et cetera. So you have to realize that because there is an incentive, there is a financial incentive for the bad guys to steal your data, to hold your company for ransom, for extortion, et cetera, that they are going to be creative. They're going to be just as creative as as your IT team and your information security team is to try and defend against them, and so that's a reality. And so it's an active participant, um, and that and you need to think about your cybersecurity program in that light. So, Ian, if I've got a really secure system, how long is are you saying that it, I can only keep them at bay for so long? So there's a concept in cybersecurity called dwell time. And this is really a, an acceptance of the fact that you are unlikely to keep people out. Really, the measure of success is can you recognize an intrusion quickly enough before the bad guys do damage? Uh, as an example, depending on the type of attack that we are talking about, uh, the bad guys can get in uh, and conduct damage in a very short period of time. As it turns out, uh, we, there is a, a specific type of attack targeting uh, cloud infrastructure. So think AWS, uh, Google, GCP, et cetera, where uh, within less than 30 seconds of a bad guy gaining access to your Google cloud service, they can spin up thousands of virtual servers to start mining Bitcoin. And so think about that. You have less than 30 seconds from an intrusion before they're starting to significantly uh, increase your bill in order to mine Bitcoin. Um, not all dwell time is, is measured in seconds. Uh, there have been some very uh, large, prolific cybersecurity incidents where the bad guys were in for days, weeks, or months before they uh, started to exfiltrate data or before they conducted uh, their, their ransomware operations. Um, and so there, there is opportunity for either your internal security team to monitor uh, and, and hopefully get alerted and triage those incidents or for your external team. 
uh, it's quite common today for uh, for larger companies and and particularly those in the mid market who um, who have uh, sensitive data and sensitive systems to contract a third party managed security company to provide 24 seven monitoring where there's always somebody with eyes on glass who can be looking for cyber threats and being able to to respond to them. So I think time, uh, which is a, a theme that's that's popped up a, a, a number of times here on, on the conversation, is is important to consider when we're talking about uh, cyber preparedness and and response plans. Ian, who do you think should be the members of my external team? Should I have PR? Should I have reliant internal counsel or go to external counsel? What about negotiation teams? The way that you framed the question uh, makes me uh, think of another question, which is, what do I do when I'm hacked? And who are the people I'm going to call? And hopefully you've, you have a plan ahead of time. Uh, that plan will likely include your external counsel. Your, that plan will also likely include uh, a breach coach. It's going to include your insurance firm. It'll probably include uh, a crisis management PR firm. Um, now, in some cases, those are going to be sub-vendors of other vendors. So you might start with your external counsel. They will actually have a breach coach for you, uh, and they might have recommended vendors for, for crisis communication. Um, having an incident response company available on standby on retainer is helpful, particularly if you're in a regulated uh, industry, and particularly if you have, if you have data that is sensitive. Um, you want to be able to, to pick up the phone call people who are experts in dealing with uh, cybersecurity incidents, uh, which is the technical term for getting hacked and having to deal with it. You want those people standing by and hopefully you want to have had some uh, some training and, and some and some preparedness time. Um, but those are those are the typical folks that you would want to uh, to be working with um, in in a situation like uh, like a data breach, like a ransomware event uh, or, or some other cybersecurity event that could have uh, quite frankly, could have existential consequences to the business. Which leads me into my last question. Pay or don't pay? Uh, well, certainly pay for cybersecurity. Uh, I think if you're asking pay or don't pay a ransom, that's, that is a longer conversation. Uh, ransomware as a, as a subsector of, of cybersecurity threats is, is an interesting case study uh, because what we have seen is that there is an incentive and there is a feedback loop for the bad guys. As ransomware gangs are successful, they make money by stealing data, selling it, by holding companies for ransom, uh, and then they they quite frankly reinvest that money back into the development of better, faster ransomware software. Now, there's also another interesting uh, uh, element to, to to this, which is that 10, 15 years ago, uh, a a cybersecurity bad guy would be somebody in their basement uh, defacing a web page. Now, what we're seeing is that there are organized groups whose full-time mission is to conduct ransomware campaigns. There's also separations of duty where you'll have different elements of that gang who are responsible for developing the ransomware software that might be purchased or licensed by uh, an initial access broker who will be responsible for going in, hacking a company, and then selling that access to somebody else. That somebody else could be a ransomware affiliate, so they don't have any experience in developing the software, but they will use the software developed by somebody else, 
purchase access and then deploy that ransomware on the organization. Um, they might also subcontract to infrastructure providers uh, who will provide the command and control infrastructure or, or similar. So you're seeing a, a very complex ecosystem of participants that are drawn to the fact that they can make money from hacking. And I think that that, that realization should be front of mind for boards to recognize that the threats that are out there are vastly different than the ones that we talked about 10 or 20 years ago and, and really need a, a very different response today um, than, than we used to have. And, and I guess that's, uh, you know, my message would be to boards to start having conversations, get informed about the threats that are out there, start to engage third parties. There are lots of, of terrific uh, cybersecurity vendors out there who, who are true fiduciaries in the sense that they want to keep you safe. Um, and so start having conversations and, and seeing how, um, how you can reduce the risk in your business. Ian, thank you. I think that's a perfect wrap to this discussion. And I really want to thank you for participating and looking forward to seeing you next time. Well, Arnie, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I think if folks are, are interested in, in just staying current on, on the cybersecurity headlines, I'd, I would encourage folks to uh, to follow me on LinkedIn. It's Ian L. Patterson, Patterson with one T. Uh, and I'm, I'm frequently sharing cybersecurity news that affects companies in Canada. Uh, and so it's a great way of, of staying up to date on, on what's taking place. Thank you for the opportunity.